What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the fourth episode of the NBA's Most Valuable Podcast. I'm your host, John Gallardo. And I'm Jeffrey Tram. Welcome back to another episode. So we've got a lot to discuss this week, and we're going to start out with a quick recap of the last week in basketball. So All-Star Reserves, right off the bat, what were your reactions, Jeff, to the All-Star Reserves? I really like the list this year. Um, So for the East, we have Jimmy Butler, Ben Simmons, Chris Middleton, Jason Tatum, Demontis Sabonis, Kyle Lowry, and Bam Adebayo. And for the West, Russell Westbrook, Damian Lillard, Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert, sorry, Rudy Gobert, (laughs) uh, Nikola Jokic, um, Chris Paul, and Brandon Ingram. So when I look at that list, everyone who's on the list deserves it um there were some snubs but there's like i wouldn't say there's a player who didn't deserve it at all so off the top of my head some of the reserve the snubs include bradley beal in the east and a devin booker in the west um but overall like i'm happy with everyone there i think there's always an argument each year when you look at guys like Bradley Beal or Devin Booker who are averaging like over 28 points a game but are on losing teams so I feel like a lot of the time the fans and sort of the media who are voting for the fans and media who are voting for the all-stars they sort of it's either they reward winning or they reward stats they value Mm -hmm. one or the other Mm -hmm. so if you look at guys like Chris Middleton people would say that oh well he's deserving because he's on the best team in the east but then other people, like mostly fans sometimes, would say that, oh, Bradley Beal's more deserving because he's averaging 28 points on a team that needs those 28 points. So there's always that give and take every year. And I feel like one way or another, you can't really avoid that kind of thing. At, at some point, every year someone gets snubbed and not everyone can make the all-star team. So I feel like at this point, the media is sort of um, voting on winning more they like to vote on winning so as you can see all the guys that have made it in here are on winning teams except for uh if jeff can bring up the list again oh something like that technical difficulties so the only guys there that are really not on winning teams are brandon ingram and that looks like it's pretty much it everybody's on a winning team so but Brandon Ingram, I mean, the the Pelicans, they're they're fighting for the A seed. And Brandon Ingram has made a lot of improvements to his game, but there are people that will say, well, Devin Booker deserves it too because he's averaging more than Brandon Ingram. But again, stats are not everything to, like, an all-star selection. And we're, when we look at the position, because it's based off position, um, I'd say the only player that might, like, have a case um, is Donovan Mitchell. But it, like, Donovan Mitchell versus Devin Booker, like, I'm cool with either making the the, the All-Star game. So it's not that, at the end of the day, we now reward winning, and Mitchell's just on a better team. So that's why he's in, I guess. And I'll say this, too, to sort of cut off this uh, discussion. Um, there are a lot of guards in the NBA right now that are really good. Mm-hmm. And every year there's someone that's being snubbed in the guard positions, in the point guard and shooting guard positions. So um, you kind of have to take that as you will. Somebody's going to get snubbed every year. And the thing is, Chris Paul, like for the years, he had, hasn't made the playoffs. I mean, hasn't made the all-star team. But this year, the year that he's having, um, you got to reward that. He's impacting winning on a big way. OKC was not pegged to make the playoffs at I all. I definitely didn't have them making the playoffs. So you got to credit that. And moving on to the Rising Stars um, selections, we're going to take a look at the Rising Star roster and see um, who made it and then who deserved it, who who possibly didn't, who got snubbed. Right off the bat, I can tell you that Zion Williamson made it, even though he only played a couple games, which is, to me, it's an NBA political move because the game's going to get a lot of ratings with Zion playing. You also got Luka Doncic leading the world team, as um, expected. So... Right off the bat, on the U.S. team, we've got Devontae Graham, who's a very deserving candidate. Mm-hmm. Tyler Hero, he's a sniper and a clutch guy. He's he's a good player, too, that's contributing to winning. Got John Morant on the Grizzlies. He speaks for himself. Kendrick Nunn, a good surprise out in the heat. You also got Trey Young, 
Miles Bridges, Jaron Jackson Jr., Eric Pascal from the Warriors, P.J. Washington from the Hornets, and Zion to round out the U.S. team. And Zion is replacing the injured uh, Wendell Carter of the Bulls. Mm -hmm. And then on the world team, we've got Nikhil Alexander-Walker from the Pelicans. He's a Canadian. Luka Doncic, Shai Gilgis-Alexander, who's having a great season from the Thunder, also Canadian. We've got Josh Kogi from the Wolves. R.J. Barrett, also another Canadian. Um, Mahiliuk, uh, I can't pronounce his first name, but... Mihaliuk, he is a guard forward from the Pistons, and he's from Ukraine. Got Brandon Clark, also Canadian. So we got a lot of Canadians on the roster mm-hmm. here. Rui Hachimura, DeAndre Aiden, and Moritz Wagner to round off the world team. So there's a player on the Toronto Raptors that we're going to talk about that potentially got snubbed. Uh, Terrence Davis. Yeah. Um, like I said earlier, like... I've always been a fan of Terrence Davis as soon as the Raptors got him. I loved his story about how he could have been a second-round pick. Um, but he told the teams, like, I don't want to have a two-way contract. So he bet on himself, which is a slogan, by the way, um, and played Summer League undrafted. And after one game, the Raptors saw something in him and signed him. And this year, he's been especially during the injuries, a very important piece to this team. Um, He's been really impressive, his play. Um, And he doesn't look like a rookie the way he plays. He's very poised. Um, He's had some big scoring games. He's obviously made some rookie mistakes here and there. But again, he's young. um, And I think that his ceiling is really, really high. I really believe in him. And I think he's going to be a very important piece for years to come. I don't think his slogan is bet on yourself. I think his that's, slogan's like sh- make him show show him or something like that. That's a thing. It's like it, it's like, it's not exactly bet bet on yourself. That's, like, that's, Fred's. that's Fred's. But that's the thing though. He's been compared to Fred because he's following the same route. Exactly. You know. Exactly. So, um, and, and in my opinion, I think he actually could surpass Fred VanVleet mm-hmm. in terms of potential. And. He had his career best performance just a couple days ago versus the Bulls. He had 31 points, 12 for 15 shooting, 6 for 7 from 3. And I was watching that game, and he looked so polished, you know. Like, the way I compare him, he looks like Norman Powell in his rookie year, but a little more polished and a little more far ahead in terms Mm -hmm. of development. Like, obviously, he's still going to make those rookie mistakes where he's running into charges and stuff. And that'll come in time as he sort of gets more chances to play. Mm-hmm. And I've also noticed from him, he looks more engaged when he's getting like 15 minutes or higher. When he's getting like 11 minutes, his numbers are a little bit down a little more and he tends to make a little more mistakes. But um, yeah, he definitely got snubbed for this uh, game because I just think he deserved to play. He was, I think he's actually leading rookies in plus minus, which mm-hmm. is very telling of his impact on the court. And I know a lot of Raptor fans have sort of criticized Nick Nurse because he's playing Patrick McCaw sometimes over Terrence Davis. I think uh, Nick Nurse had a quote, actually, where he was saying, like, something in the lines of, um, if I knew he was this good, I would have played him more earlier on. Because... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he there was, remember earlier on in the year, uh, Nick Nurse didn't want to play his bench. Yeah. Um, and then he was forced to play his bench because of all the injuries. And every single player, or not every single, Stanley Johnson, but other than him, uh, they've surpassed expectations. So now Nick Nurse really has a lot of tools to use. Mm-hmm. And just to sort of highlight some other players on the rosters here. I really think Shai Gilgis-Alexander earned his spot here for the Thunder. He's looking like a budding superstar, in my opinion. He's part of um, a three-man cell that includes uh, Chris Paul and um, Dennis Schroeder. And I think they have, like, one of the best plus-minuses in the league. And plus-minus is just, like, how many many points you're better with on the court. When you're on the court... How many points you al- you, you score? You can score your opponent, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I'm not a metrics guy, but I do know that sort of. Yeah. So, he's really well on his development as he's come to OKC, and he definitely looks like a rising star. Uh, anybody oh, else you want to highlight here? Well, one thing I wanted to mention, uh, just briefly back to Terrence Davis, was the fact that 
um, there's there was a bit of a controversial thing that a guy like um, Luka Doncic and who else? Uh, well, just a guy like Luka Doncic. Oh, Trey, and Trey Young shouldn't have made the Rising Stars game because they're both all stars. And if mm. you're an all star, you aren't a rising star. You're a star. So that would open up a spot for another, like a Terrence Davis or someone else, you know? I don't remember if LeBron made, uh, I think he may have made the All-Star game his second year, but um, I, I believe he was still part of the Rising Stars game. I think just in general, the Rising Stars game has traditionally been uh, a rookie sophomore game. Like that's what it used to be called a couple of years ago. Yeah, they changed that recently. And um, they changed it to the sort of um, US versus world format, which I think they should just like, I don't know. It's kind of weird. I mean, I like it, but just based off this lineup that we have, it would have been cooler to have like an East versus West. East versus West or even like a, like sort of like two captains and draft a team. That would be pretty interesting. Um, I think that would just like make it more of a hassle because they're already doing that for the All-Star game. So I think that... Well, well, even this format's not too bad. You know what? Sometimes, like, there is a bit of competitiveness in saying, like, oh, we want to beat the U.S. team because U.S. thinks that they're the top in basketball. And, like, a, having this U.S. versus world team, it really highlights, for example, like, the Canadian presence. For Canadians, that's amazing. That just speaks a lot on uh, the state of basketball in, in the country. Um, having... It's like especially a guy seeing a guy like and also there's matchup things too like RJ Barrett versus Zion that's gonna be a cool matchup, um, and then for the U.S. team, have like how fun is that team gonna be watching uh, the game uh, seeing Ja Morant and Zion and Trey Young and Devonte Grant like a lot of these like and Jaron Jackson Jr. having a great year in Memphis, um, yeah. I, I, I like the lineup. Like traditionally, this game is also one of the more uh, less watched parts of All Star Weekend because it's Friday night, and it's competing with the NBA Celebrity All Star Game. Well, nobody watches the Celebrity <laughs> All Star Game. Let's be real. Like, congratulations, uh, Kevin Hart. You're the fucking you're four the time three, MVP. Four time MVP. Congratulations. <laughs> you're the goat of uh, the Celebrity Game. But uh, I'll be disappointed if I don't see Trey Young throw a lob to Zion. I'll just say that. It better be a half-court lob, and Zion better, like, reverse on him or something. He needs to do something. Which I guess that's why they wanted Zion to be in the game, for sure, because he's, he's exciting. And um, before we move off this talki- topic, there was a guy that actually was very um, vocal about his uh, snubbing. A guy named, uh, what was his name? He was a guy in the Pelicans, um, Zion's teammate. Uh, Jackson oh, Hayes. Jackson. Oh, so yeah. he took to Twitter and uh, said to um, the NBA that the NBA can basically, uh, you know, I'm not going to say it here, but uh, he basically told that. him to F off. You didn't see that? No, I didn't see that. He said that and then he apologized after. Like, <laughs> he, he said on Twitter, like, NBA, you can find me. I don't care. And Did he get fined? I don't actually know if he got fined, but... He, he was basically saying that he got snubbed because of the politics of the game because someone like Zion, you know, he's, he's only played a couple games. and he's But that's his, that's his teammate. I know. So so he's mad at his own teammate? Uh-huh. I mean, I'm not suggesting that he was mad at his teammate, but he's saying that some politics took him out of the game. So Whatever. Like, if you're a real good player, you, you, can, you should be able to take snubs and just use that as motivation. Exactly. I think he, he's 19 years old, so he's he's going to learn from this experience. But, yeah, you just – if you get snubbed, you take take it with it as it will. I can't talk today. But, um, yeah, you take it with it as it is, and then you just keep working harder. Facts. So moving on, we're going to talk about Damian Lillard very quickly. Mm-hmm. He's been averaging 45 points, 10 assists over the last six games. And in those, and in the last ten, I believe the Blazers are seven and three. So, what's sort of your reaction to Damian Lillard just uh, lighting the league on fire? Like he's doing things that Kobe, rest in peace, things that Kobe would do in like two thousand six. You know, besides like scoring eighty one. Right. Um, I mean, I saw a tweet that was really really funny. Um, basically, it said that. 
Damian Lillard is getting James Harden numbers, except it's actually exciting to watch because (laughs) of the whole free throw situation with uh, Harden. Um, But yeah, like we all know that Lillard is a scoring machine. Um, He's one of the best scorers, one of the best point guards in the league. Um, He's a very important piece of the Portland team, obviously. Um, And I mean, it's just a regular season. It's just the same thing as seeing like a... a Harden or a Westbrook dominate in the regular season. It's nice, but in the back of my head, uh, hand, uh, I mean, my back of my head, I'm just, let's see if he can do that in the playoffs. The Blazers are currently two games out of the final spot in the Western Conference playoffs. So Dame's play in general is literally willing the Portland Trail Blazers back into playoff contention. So I just wanted to highlight that. And also just in terms of like historical significance no player has ever done this type of run before to average 45 points 10 assists over six games Mm -hmm. so it's just really exciting to watch that guy uh sort of bomb it from like 40 feet almost near the half court line and i was watching a video this morning on b-ball breakdown i don't know if you follow him big fan he's a really really bright basketball mind and he was just sort of highlighting how Lillard um, has been getting his points a lot, and he's been getting them a lot in the isolation. So he just, like, isolates somebody and gets to the rim. So surprisingly, like, you're going to see a lot of Damian Lillard um, three-point shots in his highlight reels, but he's getting a lot of his points from attacking the rim, and defenses can't stop him. Well, you saying that um, he gets a lot of his points uh, via isolation, I mean, to me, that just speaks to the fact that, you know, this might not be sustainable, especially in the playoffs. I think that him scoring the the amount that he is right now is very, very impressive. Um, but that better not be the, the main option for the Portland Trailblazers in the playoffs because that's not, that is just asking for a first-round sweep. I feel like, in general, isolations work when you have bigger players. So if you got like a Kawhi Leonard, a Giannis Antetokounmpo, but, Kevin Durant, it's not going to work with guys like Lillard because longer defenders can come in with double teams, triple teams, and sort of shut that down easier compared to like someone like Kawhi can shrug it off or someone like Giannis can just power through, you know? Well, even then, it shouldn't be the main offensive plan. No, no, no team that's running primarily isolation is going to win the title. That's that's a fact. So, like, it's impressive in terms of the hot stretch, and that you know, he, you mentioned he's willing them some wins now, which is cool. But they better also work, be able to work as a team um, when they if they make the playoffs. And part of it is because um, C.J. McCollum has missed some time as well, so Lillard has had to carry a lot more of the offensive load. So that's also a contributing factor into the stretch. Well, maybe that's why they're trying to target uh, someone else who can score then, because Lillard cannot be the only guy scoring. So speaking of targeting, uh, or maybe not speaking about targeting, we're going to talk about the Raptors first. They've they've been on an 11-game win streak. They've defeated uh, the opponents here. They've got they beat OKC, Washington, Minnesota, Atlanta, Philadelphia. New York, San Antonio, Atlanta again, Cleveland, Detroit, and then Chicago to wrap off this 11-game win streak so far. So I don't know if you've caught any of the games over that 11-game stretch, but I've seen a couple over the last, like, two or three. So what's sort of your initial impressions on this win streak? Like, do you think it's the fact that they're playing against struggling teams right now or subpar teams, or do you think it's sort of the Raptors getting healthy again? But to be fair, the Raptors have lost Norman Powell and Marc Gasol again to injuries. So what do you think of this win streak in general? Well, a win in the NBA is a win. And it's it's still difficult to win. Um, so having an 11-game win streak, no matter who they're facing, is already impressive. Um, just looking at the list right now... Um, yeah, of course, there are some struggling teams. Like, I see Atlanta twice, uh, Chicago, um, Minnesota, Washington. Uh, but OKC, and I believe that was also a, t- a close game when they played. Yep. Um, uh, Philly, of course, uh, an East contender. That's a t- That was a tough uh, win. 
Um, but even like the, I believe the Knicks game was a pretty close game as well. And the Knicks, like, I, I, I don't know about you, but a lot of the Raptors Knicks games, even though the Knicks have, as a franchise, been a joke, um, the, their games, their games, the Raptors versus the Knicks, they've been close. And I don't know if it's rather of it's like either the Raptors just not trying their best because they don't respect the team, or the Knicks just have some type of like motivation to want to beat Toronto. But it's always been close games, so that's an impressive win in itself too. Um, but yeah, just going back to it, just that eleven game win streak is very very impressive. Um, and uh, let's see if they keep on going. I think in general this win streak. You can't take it lightly because every game in the NBA, it's not always going to be easy. Of course. And when you've got teams that are on these losing streaks, they play hard. They play hungry because they want to end the streak. So if you're playing a bunch of losing teams in a row, that could be very, dis- dis- not deceptive, but misleading to think that it'll be an easy win. Because like I said, these teams are trying to play hard to end their win- end their losing streaks. So... You can't take those things for granted. And the Raptors have come in and taken care of business for 11 straight games. And they've got a game against the Pacers tomorrow at, as of the time we're recording this. Uh, they got actually got back-to-back with the Pacers uh, with, home a, at home. with a team um, that has Victor Oladipo coming back. And he's been um, – he, he's still very, very rusty. He's been shooting poor percentages Um but still the Pacers are a really tough team, so those are two tough games right there. And mind you, the Raptors have done this win streak with um, Norman Powell getting injured again, Marcus Gasol getting yeah. injured again, so guys like Terrence Davis, Chris Boucher have once again stepped up and contributed in ways. So the Raptors have just shown that they have that depth still. So then past the Pacers, uh, the, it's pr- pretty easy from there. The Nets without Kyrie, uh, the Timberwolves again, the Nets again, the Suns, and then the Pacers again, and then the next tough, tough matchup would be against the Bucks on the 25th of February. Interesting. So we're going to have to wait and see if the Raptors extend the streak. Hopefully we're not jinxing them. If we are, this podcast is cursed. But um, <laughs> moving on, while we talk about the Raptors, we need to start moving into some trade deadline talk. So The deadline is Thursday. Thursday, as of recording this. This yeah. is going to drop Wednesday at noon. So by the time this drops, there could have been some big, like, Woj bombs or, yeah. I don't know, do they call shams, like, sham bombs? They don't call that. that yeah. I don't I don't know what they call shams. Tweets. I know there's the Twitter fans, uh, there's, like, a beef between them. Between shams fans and Woj fans? Yeah. That's interesting. <laughs> I love it. That's hilarious. Um, but, so, yeah, the, the, the deadline is February 6th, um, and there's been a lot of talk with a lot of teams, and I believe we're going to start with the New York Knicks, right? Uh, no, we're going to start out with the Raptors. Oh, Raptors first, okay. So the Raptors are sort of in a unique position because they're second in the East right now, mm-hmm. and they've got the same, as of this time of recording this, the same record they had last year with Kawhi Leonard and Danny Green. So the question is, the Raptors, are they, are they buyers or are they sellers at the deadline? I don't think they're sellers because they're number two in the East. Do you even think they can make a move at this point? It's really, really tough. Um, you know, being a Raptors fan, um, especially with how they are as people and how there are platforms such as Open Gym, um, Serge Ibaka shows, both the fashion one and the cooking show, where we really get to, as fans, fall in love with the team. Um, And seeing who they are, how they're family people, how they love Toronto, how they love the country, it's really, really hard for me to want any of them to go. Like, in an ideal world, like, I wouldn't want any of them traded. and I even look back to last year uh, when we made, for example, the Marc Gasol trade, which was a really tough trade because I loved Valanciunas. Um, but those are the types of trades that need to be made uh, to win. So my 
my heart says I don't want them to get, uh, don't want the Raptors to make any moves to trade anybody because every every single player has contributed to be the team that they are right now, second in the East. But at the same time, when you look at the East, I mean, I know the Bucks um, are just blowing the league away in the regular season, but. To me, I see this as another window to go to the NBA Finals again. So I think that they should make a trade, whether even if I might not like it at first, um, in term, just because of the whole um, love for the players. But I think that ideally, if you can find a trade that will improve the team, you should go for it. I think that's what Masai is trying to look for right now, and that's his mentality going into the trade deadline. He's not going to force it, um, but if he sees something that will help, I think he will go for it. Here's my take on that. Um, without a doubt, there are moves that the Raptors can make to improve the team, but I don't think right now in the trade landscape, I don't think there's anybody available that can put the Raptors over the top. Uh, Zach Lowe on his podcast today, he sort of mentioned the possibility of the Raptors trading for Drew Holiday, which... I don't see how Drew Holiday sorts of sort of puts the Raptors over the top to beat a team like the Bucks in the playoffs. Like at this point, the Raptors needs a go-to scorer in my opinion cuz I don't think Pascal Siakam is that guy in the postseason when he's getting double teamed, triple teamed. I don't think he's necessarily ready to carry that load yet and the type of player they would want is a guy like Bradley Beal, but he's not available until the offseason. So the way I look at it, the Raptors are definitely in a position to make a move, although they need to keep in mind that their long-term goal is to sort of plan everything around 2021 when Giannis Antetokounmpo is a free agent. So they're in a really awkward position where they can make a move, and there are certainly guys available. Like um, I've heard, I've heard uh, talks of Tristan Thompson, Marcus Moore Sr. on the Knicks, which we'll get to them later, but. I don't think there's necessarily a guy that can put the Raptors over the top this year, like like a Marcus All type move or a Mark like that sort of addition that can put the Raptors over the top. Well, first of all, you mentioned the, the Marcus All trade again. Um, well, w- when that trade happened, we didn't. I mean, we thought that Valanciunas was a great setter in himself, so that we didn't know that he was going to be a value value piece. So going into this trade deadline, we don't know if. Like, we might look at that trade and be like, oh, we, I'm sorry, we might be looking at these players and be like, oh, they're not really going to take us over the edge, but how do we really know? Um, this is how we know. We know because there are games when Pascal Siakam disappears offensively. Do you think Kyle Lowry can carry the load then on the offensive end in the well, postseason? I I think I have Who, more gonna... hope for P- Pascal Siakam. That, the only reason I say that is, I mean, that is the more safe way to think. But the thing with Siakam is, he's always impressed. In the, he's always surpassed my expectation. Um, he's always, just when we I put a little doubt in him, he continues to get better. He just continually gets better. And if you put him in the moment, who knows? He might be, I, I believe, I personally believe that he can um, continue and be that guy in the postseason. I think he will. I think we've got a good spicy take here. <laughs> I think p- personally, I think Pascal Siakam will struggle in the postseason when he faces teams like the Milwaukee Bucks or maybe even the Miami Heat. Because I think those teams are definitely designed to give Pascal problems. And I think if the Raptors don't make a move, and they, they probably can't make a move for an elite level scorer for the postseason, then either Miami or the Bucks will knock him out or. Pascal will just struggle really hard. Well, here's the thing. If we really fully analyze last year's postseason. He was up and down last well, postseason. Well, here, so here's, here's my take. He was so, up and down. <laughs> so let me think, let me explain. So I would say, especially the first two rounds, there were lots of moments where we heavily relied on Kawhi Leonard to carry us. Especially in the second round. Yes. But... When we went to the third and fourth round in the NBA Finals, um, what we saw was the team at its best, where 
there were games where Kawhi only got, and I only say only, but like in comparison to what he was doing before, he only had about like 20 points. Um, but the thing was, there was he, there wasn't the ISO basketball. There was a lot of ball movement. There were a lot. Of, there was a lot of playmaking. There was a lot of um, play like set plays from Nick Nurse, and I think that if we put Siakam in the Kawhi position of ISO, then yeah, I agree. There's going to be times where he's not going to be able to handle that because I don't. But I, at the same time, I don't think he's going to be that type of guy where he will. He, where he shines is transition. So if the Raptors can do these plays where they're setting him up in the best position to succeed and really highlight his strengths, which I think that Nick Nurse can do as an excellent coach as he is, um, and then also having the valuable pieces around, I think that that could take the Raptors, if they get also another piece, that would definitely help. Um, take the Raptors to the NBA Finals? Personally, I think that the reason why the Raptors relied so much on Kawhi, especially in that second round versus Philadelphia, is because in their defensive scheme, they were able to take away the flow of the offense. They were able to slow things down with their length. So you can't always rely on isolation basketball, like you said. And at the same time, you can't always rely on like sort of thinking that we can get that flow of our offense running because it's sort of like a perfect storm of things for the Raptors last year where they got by with the iso ball in the first second round mostly and then in the third round versus Milwaukee and the fourth round versus the Golden State Warriors all all cylinders were firing you know we could get those off ball shots like you know moving the ball around the three-point line but we could also isolate with Kawhi once in a while so I think in general the defensive scheme for opposing teams is to make Siakam isolate more. So I think a lot of the Raptors' success is going to sort of peg on that, and that's why I think the Raptors need to make a move for an elite-level scorer. Well, just one thing on that. Uh, I think like Siakam is a decent ISO player himself. I'm not saying he's terrible. He's good. So he can do that once in a while. But I don't think he's that Kawhi-level isolation but do we player. we need him to do that, though? That's my, my take. I my think favorite. we do. All the time? Not all the time, but I'm saying when teams force the Raptors to isolate, if Pascal is struggling, they're going to have trouble. That's that's all I'm going to say for that. But, um, yeah, and the Raptors, I think they need to make a move for some guy. Whether they can make that move or not, it remains to be seen. I mean, check our phone right now, and Woj doesn't really have anything about the Raptors. So we spent a little bit too much time on the Raptors, but I felt it was a really good discussion because – it's sort of the issues that are going to come up later in the later in the season and then towards the postseason as the Raptors try to defend their NBA title. Well, we'll see because, like, we don't know what they're actually going to do. Like, I don't know what's in Masai's head right now. He might be formulating, like, a blockbuster trade. As this just speak. in, Kawhi Leonard has been traded to the Toronto Raptors. <laughs> no, just kidding. Just playing. Um, but, yeah, we're going to move on to some more trade discussions because... The trade deadline is starting to spice up. So we're going to start off with the New York Knicks because we don't like the New York Knicks. Well, I don't like the New York Knicks, but they're just they're always in the news. They're a joke. They're funny. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're by far the most, um, I want to say the most bad run. So, so terribly, run, terribly franchise. run franchise. Yeah. And it starts with Dolan. Yep. Dolan, sell the team, man. Please, please sell the team. But no, don't. Just make it a joke for us to all laugh at. <laughs> yeah. So the Knicks have got some front office drama that's sort of related to their trade deadline stuff. So Steve Mills and the New York Knicks are parting ways, and that was reported earlier today by Woj. The Knicks are trying to target Masai Ujiri, which if they're gonna give if they're gonna get Masai, they better hand us like you know first round picks. Ten. They better give us R.J. Barrett. Better give us, you know, they better just give us a whole fucking uh, treasure chest. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so the Knicks are targeting Kyle Kuzma, of all people. And they're also looking to get an upgrade at the point guard spot. I've heard um, they were trying to g- make a deal for D'Angelo Russell before the Steve Mills stuff came out. So I know what you're going to say about the Knicks. They're like a big circus, like a joke. But what do you make of this sort of... Um, so all these news. All this news. All this news. 
So let's just unpack it a little bit. Steve Mills getting fired. Well, uh, not fired. They've agreed to part ways. Okay, that's that's the AKA uh, fired. That yeah, exactly. It's just code. Um, he that was long overdue. I mean, just seeing that off season. Todd Gibson. Just kidding. Marcus Moore senior. Going I mean, he's a good player, but. I mean, I think one of the stupidest things I've ever, ever, ever seen was trading away Christoph Borzingas for the chance to get uh, KD and Kyrie, but instead they get Taj Gibson, Julius Randle, Bobby Portis. If you're KD and Kyrie, are you going to sign on a team with Christoph Porzingis? Or are you going to sign on a team with Taj Gibson, Julius Randle, and um, Marcus Morris. No disrespect to those guys. But are you going to sign with them? No. No. Like, the Knicks were so... Uh, like, the whole Porzingis situation was so annoying. Because they finally get this franchise player. And they blamed him for everything that was going on wrong with the team. And they traded him for salary cap space that wasn't even used properly. That just shows the stupidity of the franchise. Like, are you kidding me? Hey, come you, on, man. Like, Porzingis is a 7-3 unicorn. Porzingis is the guy you keep to attract other players to join your team. That makes no sense to me. Like, they had a 7-foot, like how? 7-foot-3. 7-foot-3 scoring machine. I mean, granted, he hasn't been that good with the Mavericks. Well, no, his, but I'm talking about potential. His potential, his potential is through the roof. Through the roof. Shot blocking machine. This guy, like, it's rare to find a player like that. And the fact that they traded him to the Mavericks for, with that pairs him up with Luka Doncic. And then on the other end, you get Dennis Smith Jr., who, <laughs> to be fair, I, he hasn't played too much this season. But he's not Porzingis. And don't forget, Dennis Smith Jr. could have been the guy they drafted. Yeah, they could have drafted him over Frank Nilakina, who <laughs> he's a good defender, but that's it. That's literally it. He's like Michael Kidd Gilchrist in a sh- like a guard, a yeah. guard form. Yeah. So the Knicks are just a big mess. And what do you think of them targeting Kyle Kuzma? Oh, they don't have enough power forwards. What? They need a power forward so bad. Yo, they got f- <laughs> what three fo- three power forwards, but they need that, another one. Nah, they we, need another one, bro. Yeah. Oh, there's. Uh, they should also target Kevin Love while they're at it. Yo, they say three's a crowd, but four, <laughs> four's a mob. But um, yeah. Um, and then also D- D'Angelo Russell. Okay, like who do they have? The Knicks fans are just the fans are also delusional. The they think they could they could package like freaking Kevin Knox and like a second round pick or some shit like that. You know. And I feel like at one time Kevin Knox looked really promising, but now they just buried him in the rotation and he can't really do much. So I don't know what the Knicks are doing. Um, I I I saw Julius Randle carry the ball up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then also they fired um, Dave Fisdale for no reason. To be fair, though, their new coach, um, I'm forgetting his name off the top of my head, but he's been doing a little bit better than Fizdale. But the Knicks, they always but just Fizdale wasn't the quick. problem to begin with. It the was... problem is that they signed four power forward or three power forwards thinking it would work, <laughs> thinking they could attract Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. And my sincere like condolences to all the Knicks fans because you guys have one of the most lucrative franchises in North American sports and they can't do shit with your money. Oh, thanks for giving us a first round pick for Andrea Bagnani, by the way. Yeah, that ended up, that, that first round pick turned to be Jakob Pertl. Then we used Jakob Pertl to get Kawhi and then we got our title. So, so y'all helped us get it. Thank you. Sincerely, thank you to the Knicks for gifting us basically our championship through like via trades. But I mean, a lot of factors had to happen, but by um by association that kind of happened, and also also the uh, decide Dolan specifically decided not to get Kyle Lowry. Yeah, we almost traded Kyle Lowry to the Knicks, but Dolan was scared that he's gonna get fleeced again by Masai Ujiri, like the premier um, GM at the time, and now he's the president of operations for the team. Thank you, Dolan. <laughs> and I can save. That the Knicks, every time the Raptors front office gives them a call, they get Vietnam flashbacks because of that <laughs> Bargnani trade. Yeah. So, 
Moving on, we're going to talk about some players that are sort of um, rumored to be on the block. Andre Iguodala, he's been wanting to get moved from the Grizzlies since the start of the season, and he said he's willing to sit out the whole season if he doesn't get moved from the Grizzlies. And I know that the Clippers, the Lakers, and the Heat are primarily interested in his services. Mm-hmm. So what do you sort of make of Andre Iguodala saying he's not going to play unless he gets traded? Um, I'm on the Grizzlies side. Uh I, if you're the Grizzlies, you should feel disrespected. Um, you're fighting for the eighth seed. You're a young and exciting team. Um, if you believe in honor and te- integrity, you would honor the contract that you signed. Um, you see that with Chris Paul. He honored his contract, um, and he's playing well. Um, DeMar DeRozan, I mean, he did not want to get traded from the Raptors, but he's playing with the Spurs right now. If you get traded somewhere, you are obligated to play it as long as you're signed in a contract. So seeing what Andre, I, what he's saying about how he, he's he's older and he doesn't want to waste his time, it doesn't matter, man. You're signed in a contract. You're making millions of dollars. You should honor that contract by playing um, on the team that you were tr- you're on. Um, and seeing... What I believe it was Dylan Brooks. Dylan Brooks and John Morant. Yeah, what they said, like, 100% agree. Like, that's how they should feel. Um, Dylan Brooks basically said that he wants to see Iguodala get traded, and then uh, John Morant just replied to the tweet with, like, a, a balking emote. Well, also, there's the fact that they want him to get traded so that they could face him and just prove that, like, you know, we were a real team, you know? And that's the mentality That's the mentality that you want your young guys to have in a franchise. So, um, and I see the Memphis Grizzlies as a young, exciting team. I mean, seeing uh, John Morant, the way John Morant's played, Jaron Jackson Jr. has been playing great. Uh, Valanchunas, um, former Raptor, excelling there. He just had a 26-17 and 17 game. Whew. Like, I've... Always been a fan of Alan Chunis. Yo, take in, too, that JV went to the Super Bowl, won the Super Bowl title with the Chiefs, <laughs> and then he went to play the game the next day. No, I'm just kidding. There's a there's a lookalike on the Kansas City Chiefs that yeah. uh, looks like JV. <laughs> but, um, yeah, shout out to him, man. Love JV. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, just going back to the Andre Iguodala thing, uh, I think that Iguodala is sort of making the move to say that I'm not going to play unless I'm playing for a ring. So... He's sort of getting that ring chaser moniker, in my opinion. I mean, if you're a warrior, you're most likely to f- have that feeling. So, I mean, he was on the team since they first their their first title. I get it, but like the 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 feelings from Kevin Durant probably got contagious and spread to him. I could say it's from my sort of perspective. It's very petty that he's like, "Oh, I'm not gonna play at all," and then you know what? If I'm the Grizzlies, you know, what? fine, don't play. We're just not gonna trade you then. <laughs> that's what I would do, actually. To be honest, like, screw him. Yeah, you know what? Right. You, you don't want to play? Don't play. Yeah. You're not going to get your ring either. <laughs> yeah, you're, exactly. Exactly. So who cares, you know? So Andre Udala, you know, he can do whatever the hell he wants. But if the Grizzlies can get, like, some first-round draft picks, like a well, first-round draft pick or, like, two second-rounders, that would probably be good. You know what the thing is? I think that that's what they're – I saw that um, that's what they're I are willing to give up for that, though. But they're also kind of at the same time. Well, when I what I've read essentially is that like the um, the market for him is very very high because of that idea that like the Grizzlies are okay with just like not trading him. They really don't care if they can get something for him. Cool, but they're not obligated to trade him. Exactly. So we'll have to wait and see. He'll probably get moved or not get moved in the next couple of days. I mean, the deadline's on Thursday, like we've been saying. Mm-hmm. So moving on, we're going to talk about the T-Wolves. They're trying to package a multi-team deal to sort of acquire D'Angelo Russell. And we don't have the specifics up, but um, D'Angelo Russell has been a big trade um, discussion since the Warriors signed him because it was sort of like a sign-and-trade between Brooklyn and Golden State with a... Uh, D'Angelo Russell and Kevin Durant. So I want to ask you, Jeff, do you think the T-Wolves pull off this deal to get um, D'Angelo Russell? Because they already tried a, a couple hours ago. They offered Andrew Wiggins 
for uh, D'Angelo Russell and then the or the Warriors, they said, no, nah, we're not doing that. Well, it'd be nice to see Russell with the Timberwolves. Um, I think that they've always wanted that to happen. I can't really think of a package that would work, though. I, I'd imagine it'd be Wiggins that that has to leave from Minnesota. What, what do you think? So I'm looking at the report right now on the score. Uh, Minnesota is reportedly in Hawks with the Houston Rockets and Atlanta Hawks. Um, it looks like they're trying to ship off um, Covington to Houston, Clint Capella to Atlanta, two first-round picks and ex- expiring contract to the Timberwolves. Um, and then Minnesota could flip those assets to make a deal for Russell. Oh, okay. So it looks like they're trying to make a multi-team deal first, and then they're going to try to do a trade for D'Angelo Russell. So then there would be kind of like a bit of a big three in a Russell-Wiggins-Towns. Although I saw a post a couple weeks ago saying that um, Andrew Wiggins just pulled off like one of the biggest pump fakes on the league in terms of like his production over the first month to like now. He's he's definitely on the down on the downside or the decline. Yeah, and it's really disappointing because you see Andrew Wiggins and you think that he's got like you know all the athletic gifts in the world. If he just had a little bit more of a work ethic, he could be like that NBA star. So it's kind of sad. So I wouldn't say it would be a big three, but um, D'Angelo Russell would help out the Wolves because they would get a big upgrade at the point guard position. And I feel like that pick and roll with Towns and Russell is so deadly because both of them can shoot it like crazy. Do you think that makes them content for the eight seed? Because currently, right now, they're fifteen and thirty-four. Um, they're second last in the West. Um, do you think that gives them the, a bit of an edge? I would say no, because I think at this point, unless they win, like I think generally the the eight seed probably needs to be like. Well, at this point. The eighth seed right now is five a five hundred team twenty five and twenty five the Memphis Grizzlies. The way I see it in the West, you probably need around like forty five wins a season to sort of make the eighth spot. And at this point, the Timberwolves have to win most of their games to like essentially. They're make it on a twelve game losing streak. So <laughs> that just goes to show, like, I don't know of how much D'Angelo Russell would impact that. I mean, certainly that pick and roll with Towns and Russell is a very exciting prospect to think about. Yeah. But that does definitely not put them over the top. Like, I think they're already too far down in the hole to make it out of the, make it into the playoff contention. So I think they should just, you know, I, I think they're getting, trying to get Russell for the future. But um, if they don't, they shouldn't feel bad because... They've got the lottery to uh, sort of try and fix holes here and there. And, I mean, they're also trying to sell Covington, so. Yes. Um, I'm drawing a blank on his name. Robert Covington. Yeah, Robert Covington is apparently on the trade block as well. Well, which, that's, he would be included in that, that big trade. So, mm-hmm. yeah. so if, if he's not included there, I also heard some rumors that the Raptors are potentially targeting him too. I don't see any reason to go for him. Um we, we kind of have that type of 3 and D guy in OG. Um, obviously, his three has been off. But, you know, he can develop and improve. I just don't see a reason to trade assets to get a guy who, yeah. who could be OG um, developed. Yeah, like, like, like we were saying earlier, I don't think the Raptors should make a move unless it's for a guy that can put them over the top. And Robert Covington definitely isn't that guy. Um Moving on to some other trade rumors, we got Chris Mannix reporting that the the Clippers are trying to move, tr- make a move for Kevin Love. So, what do you think of that? I mean, I thought that was really random. I just the thing is with the Clippers, I don't think that they think they're good enough. I think uh, Montrezl Harrell said like it was like one of those guys, like Harrell, Beverly, or yeah. like one of those like junkyard dog guys that said that we're not good enough to like contend well based off I, I, of course it's just the regular season and we haven't seen them in the playoffs yet but based off regular season play they haven't lived up to this defensive juggernaut that people predicted that they would be um, like thinking if you look at a Patrick Beverly Paul George Kawhi Leonard um, lineup 
you know, you, you would assume one would assume that that would be like a defensive machine, um, but they haven't lived up to that. And I especially like I look at a guy like Paul George, and I I truly see nothing but the word overrated over him. In that I don't like we've seen as I mean last year with uh, OKC what how he got eliminated first round, um, and. Yeah, I think that's the feeling within the Clippers camp in that they don't think they're good enough to, say, beat the Lakers in the Western Conference Finals. So they're trying to get that extra piece. And in Kevin Love, obviously, he's not the best defensive guy, but he stretches the the, the, the floor. He can hit threes. Um, you know, he, he's a good pick-and-roll guy. Good, good rebounder, too. Yeah. Uh... I'll say this about the Clippers. Um, there's something a couple of weeks ago that Patrick Patterson said about Kawhi Leonard that kind of irked me the wrong way. And to to uh, sort of preface this, I've always been a big supporter of Patrick Patterson since his Toronto days. Like, there would be times where he would break so many shots, but I just felt like he was, when he was on, the Raptors were playing very good. But to get back to the point, Patrick Patterson, after Kawhi Leonard's first triple-double of his career... He was like, oh, I guess they weren't making shots that much in uh, San Antonio and in Toronto. So Patrick Patterson gets the Clown of the Year award. So I think he he personally probably thinks that the Clippers are good enough to contend for a title. But the way I see them right now, I think a lot of the reason why their uh, team in general is in such flux is because of the treatment that Kawhi Leonard and Paul George have gotten from the, from the coaching staff, from the front office where they're sort of um, ostracizing they're sort of ostracizing um, the rest of the team in favor of Kawhi's health in favor of Paul George's health and that's irked guys the wrong way like a guy like Montrez Harrell who's worked hard his whole life to get to where he's gotten and same with uh, Patrick Beverly and not to say that Kawhi or Paul George didn't work hard but this sort of preferential uh, treatment between these two stars and the rest of the team sort of offsetting their chemistry and whereas in Toronto the Lodge management thing like there was one issue um, early in the season or actually after the trade deadline when they traded um, DeLon Wright, CJ Miles and Valanciunas, Kawhi didn't play that game when they were shorthanded so that kind of um, set the Raptors off but for the most part Toronto like the whole sort of organization was very accommodating of Kawhi and they didn't really for the most part criticize him for any of that load management situation. So I think that's the problem with the Clippers is sort of their chemistry, and I think that's personally why they've struggled a little bit. I mean, granted, they're still one of the top teams in the league, but they're not like this. Like, essentially where the Bucks are right now is where people thought the Clippers would be at this point in the season, you know, like single-digit losses, like, you know, seven losses on the season and dominating the league, whereas, you know, the Raptors actually have a better record than the Clippers right now. So that just goes to show that chemistry is a very underrated thing. And I feel like I'm ranting too long about the Clippers. So we're going to go through some other moves very quickly here as we wrap up. We got uh, Clint Capella potentially getting moved off the um, off the Rockets because, um, as you know, Daryl Morey is a big metrics guy. Uh, they're trying to move Clint Capella because they're actually worse with him on the court. And they're trying to get a wing and a center to sort of um, fill out their roster. Uh, there have been talks with Atlanta, like we said earlier, with um, the whole D'Angelo Russell trade scenarios. And Boston Celtics have also tried to target him because um, the center position has always been, or this season it's been kind of in flux because they don't have Al Horford anymore. So quickly your thoughts on Clint Capella potentially getting moved? Well, if the end goal for the Rockets to get that wing 3 and D guy. Um, I guess they could downgrade a bit in center because Clint Cabela is a nice center. He's a good shot-blocking center. Um, Rim runner. Yeah, a good pick-and-roll, alley-oop guy, type of guy. Um, let's look at Boston for a second, what they could potentially get. Um, do you really want to ask Cantor? If you're a Rockets fan? Do you really want? There's not. They're not getting a Jalen Brown or a 
You're not getting Tatum. You're not yeah. getting Jalen Brown. Yeah. You might get Marcus Smart. Or Gordon Hayward. Mm, maybe but, Gordon Hayward. But does that help improve your team? Like, definitely not defensively. You completely downgrade defensively. Unless you get Marcus Smart. Marcus Smart would be a pretty good fit, I think, in Houston. But I think he's a shooting guard. I think he he can potentially... He'd be an... Un- if he he'd plays, be an undersized small forward. Well, do you want that to... Um, if you're trading away Clint Capella? Because, like, even if they're technically um, worse as a team with Capella on the floor, Capella is still an elite shot blocker, an elite defender. I would put him in my top 10 centers in the league. That's a pretty spicy take you got there. Um, I would say... For me, Clint Capella gets sort of exposed in matchups where there's too much shooting on the floor because, um, albeit he's a very good defender at the rim, but his perimeter defense isn't as good. So I could see why the Rockets sort of want to make an upgrade. But at the same time, there's no team like Golden State like last year. Golden State had so many shooters where Clint Capella would just get taken out of the game because he couldn't really do much. So there's no team really like that in the Western Conference right now unless you count the Denver Nuggets. I just... I see the value in having a good shot-blocking center. Um, I see it, like, for with the Raptors, even though he's a bit unsized, undersized, the value of Serge Ibaka. Um, I just think that it's really, really nice to have a guy like that. And if you are trading away Clint Capella because you want to get uh, an asset on the wing, you should also try to get some of that shot-blocking block, presence back in some type of matter and not have uh, Ennis Cantor as your center because he's a defensive liability. I think a guy like Daniel Tice could be good if you're talking about shot blocking. But are they going to trade Tice? Tice is a good player. I think they really value him in Boston. Like he, He's a decent three-point shooter, like about 32%, and he's also averaging 1.4 blocks per game. But I think the thing is with blocks and sort of um, that stat in general – I think it's a very, it's it's a good stat to have, you know, and a good presence to have in the paint. But I think it can be very overrated at times because when you look at guys like Hassan Whiteside, who at one point averaged a crazy amount of blocks, but at the same time, blocks aren't the only sort of defensive metric that's important. Of course not, but it's it's also the presence. It It's the idea that if you are a guy who likes to drive to the lane, you're at least thinking about the possibility of getting your shot swatted. Um, so it it does matter. I like having that defensive anchor, and even to an extent, Marcus Saul is that type of guy. I he, think just the fact that he's, he's got a there. big body there, yeah. and someone that can go vertical to contest shots. It might all, not always end in blocks, but if you have that body, I can see that. So that's w- but that's why Ennis Cantor wouldn't be that guy. So if you're getting um, if you're trading away Clint Capella, you better get at least like 50% of what Capella offers. If you, or otherwise, the Rockets are not an elite team. Say that they, they get that wing defender. Who are they going to play at center? Mm, I don't know, but I, ideally they want a, a wing player and a I center. know they tried P.J. Tucker at center at times. I remember seeing that. That's pretty stupid. <laughs> I mean, but, well, shout out to him because he's the sneaker king, but... PJ is way too undersized. He's six five, I think. Or that <laughs> six, was six. that I was think he's six six. I think his listing was six five, and then you know how like the NBA did that thing where they're listing players without their shoes. I don't even think he's six five anymore. What? I think he might be six four, but that's crazy to play him at center. So we'll have to see if the Rockets make a move for um, you know a center and a wing. But at this point, um. The Celtics are interested in him, and I know the Hawks are really interested in getting him because they've been looking for a center for a while. And just very quickly to sort of finish this off, we're going to talk about three guys. Marcus Morris Sr. on the Knicks. He's on the block. Tristan Thompson, also on the block from the Cleveland Cavaliers. Um, And I guess we'll also talk about Gallo, a guy who's not on the block but also in, like, trade discussions. So... Those three guys are sort of power forward, small forward, center kind of guys. Like, they're forwards. Um, do you see any team in general that could use one of those guys? Mm. Is Marcus Morris the guy that the Rockets would be looking for? Marcus Morris is a pretty good shooter. Like, I think he's averaging over 40% from three. And 
he was on the Celtics last year, and he played very well for them, too. He averaged, like, around 13 points. Um, Marcus Moore Sr. would be good on the Rockets, honestly, but they would also want a center. And, I mean, are the Knicks... Well, maybe I shouldn't ask that question because I was thinking, are the Knicks dumb enough to trade away one of their young guys like um, Mitchell Robinson? <laughs> if they do that, uh, I'm seriously just going to say I'm so sorry to any Knicks fans. Like... I just feel so bad if, if that actually happens. But he does seem like a good guy to have. But um, I think Marcus Morris would be a good target for the Raptors too because um, he's a pretty – you could use him in low usage and he can be very effective. Well, I actually do not want him on uh, the Raptors because of the whole situation with him and Jay Crowder. If anything, I would want Jay Crowder except if the Memphis Grizzlies were not contending for the eighth spot. Like, that's who I'd rather have than Marcus Morris. I mean, he got exposed in that game, and he looked like a salty loser when um, he was... Salty loser. Straight up, man. This guy was talking about how, like, uh, Jay Crowder uh, plays like a woman or something like that. Wow. And I'm like... Wow, that's really bad. And I believe that was on the day that Kobe um, passed. Bruh. Which is literally the opposite of uh, Mamba mentality. Because the thing is, Kobe's always been about empowering women and um, the fact that they can play basketball. I mean, Kobe did like call out very vocally um, about his uh, displeasure playing with, um, what's his name, Kwame Brown and uh, his point guard. What was his point guard in, like, 06? What was his name? Smush Parker. He hates those guys, but... Anyway, but not to to the extent that what um, Marcus Morris said about Jake Crowder really disrespectful. But um, uh, looking at Tristan Thompson, I don't know Tristan Kardashian. <laughs> like, <laughs> shout out to Brampton. He's still a great rebounding center, good, decent shot good blocker, defender too. Good defender, um, but that I believe his contract expires. I think so, something like that. Um, I don't know where he'd be fit. Like, we were talking about, uh, I mean, there were rumors and talks that he might go to Toronto. I don't know if I really necessarily want Tristan Thompson. Because um, is he an upgrade over what Marcus Saul brings? Because Marcus Saul has that playmaking. Um, I know Tristan has been hitting some threes these days, <laughs> uh, but Marcus Saul is a more reliable. I just think Marcus Gasol, too, is, like, way better as a player because he's p- lesser of a rebounder compared to Tristan Thompson, but he brings that playmaking, that more consistent shooting. He's the anchor. He's strong. And I mean strong as in, like, he was the big reason Giannis got shut down in the playoffs. You know, I, I just don't want to deal with Tristan Thompson, man. Like, he's from Brampton, which is just <laughs> another reason why I'm not proud of being from Brampton. But all jokes aside... The guy is, like, always ratting out Toronto. Like, he's always disrespecting Toronto in some way. Like, remember before um, the Raptors won the title and before they were Eastern Conference champions the season before when the Cavs won? He was like, well, we're still the defending Eastern Conference champs. I mean, granted, you don't have LeBron anymore, so he didn't have any luck getting there anyway. I mean, he's just funny. He's entertaining. Uh, (laughs) He's a buck tee. That's what he is. Oh, boy. He's a buck tee. He needs to... He needs to tone it down. He's a waste. But, um, yeah, and the last guy, Danilo Gallinari. Um, we were talking about him earlier off off the mic, but personally I don't see him getting moved by the Thunder because I think the Thunder are in a good prime position to contend right now with um, all the surprises that they've shown the NBA this season, and Gallo is a big part of that. He's, he's not like their number one option, but... He doesn't need to be. He doesn't need to be. He he thrives in that role where he's like the third option kind of guy, like second option sometimes, where he doesn't have too much pressure on him and he's sort of just um, scoring in very sneaky ways. He gets buckets, yeah. I mean, like, that's the guy I wanted the Raptors to get. But seeing, okay, see, they're in the seventh seed right now. They have a 30 and 20 record. Which they're is, not, not too far off from uh, the next spot, which is Dallas at 31 and 19. And the Rockets, too. Like, they're two and a half games behind the Rockets. If you told me that the Oklahoma City Thunder would be, like, essentially they were in sort of the same spot last year. And, yeah, like, just going off their 
development with Shai Gilders Alexander, like we were saying earlier, it's just very surprising. And kudos to them. I mean, I always thought Billy Donovan was a bad coach, but I guess he's starting to prove everyone wrong. So with that in mind, we are going to end this hour-long special of the NBA's Most Valuable Podcast. It's definitely run longer than I know Jeff wanted to because he's a very busy guy, but I'll be honest with you, I'm hella busy too. But you know what? It's it's all right because we have a lot of fun doing this podcast. So make sure you guys um, send us any feedback on social media. Um, definitely reach out to jpeg.john and then Jeff Traminator on Instagram. Um, send us your feedback if um, you don't know us or even if you do know us, you know, roast us. Tell us our mistakes and we'll try and not uh, cry ourselves to sleep when we get roasted. No, I'm just kidding. We take all of that criticism and we turn it to um, try to make a better product for you guys to listen to on the podcast world. So with that in mind, uh, we're going to close it off here. Thanks again for listening to episode four of the NBA's Most Valuable Podcasts. We are live. We're not live, but we drop these uh, usually on noon on Wednesdays. Mm -hmm. So keep up with our podcasts there. And if you haven't listened to the Kobe piece that we did last week, we'd really, really, really want you guys to listen to it because personally, we feel like that was the best episode we recorded. Would mm -hmm. you agree? Yeah, that was um, very emotional. Very emotional. We got to very raw. It was very real. Yeah. Like not saying that we're not real right now, but just the way we sort of contextualized Kobe and everything around it, I feel like we really got a lot of our feelings out there and and get more comfortable with the mic and the whole process of being in a podcast um, and sharing our feelings and especially with a, such a monumental um, loss like that, it's it can be hard to talk about so. And shout out to the people who listen, even if you're not like a basketball fan. Yeah, shout out to them. You know, like I got people listening to the podcast that don't even know like a lick about basketball. So shout out to y'all. Um, yeah, but uh, I'm excited for the NBA trade deadline. There's going to be some big moves. Oof, if this week went for an hour, next week might go for like way longer because dissecting all, all the aftermath of the trade deadline yeah. is going to be next week. We're going to be talking about All-Star as it's uh, getting closer. So that's a little preview for next week. But anyways, we've rambled on for too long. Thanks again for listening to the NBA's Most Valuable Podcasts, Wednesdays at noon. And uh, till then, we'll, we'll see you guys next time. See you.